Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew. July 19th, 2017. What are you into? Well, I just, I've, I started reading uh, The Blade itself, the first book in Joe Abercrombie's first law series. You've mentioned it a lot. It has come up a lot in uh, Amazon's recommendations for books I might like after having bought all this dumb fantasy nonsense from them. So I said, sure, give it a shot. Um, downloaded the sample to my Kindle and uh, read the first couple chapters. Really, really liked it. Then spent the twelve ninety nine or whatever to get the full book and still haven't got much past where the sample cuts off just because, you know, I life has gotten in the way. But I'm really enjoying it. There's something very, very British about his writing. Uh, very, very dry British um, kind of world weariness that I just love. I, I, I love that kind of writing. I'm I'm. I'm a bit of an Anglophile. I say we all know what that does to you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're talking to to a guy who rewatches Jeeves and Worcester like three times in a row every time it pops up on Hulu. So just the very British style, uh, I really enjoy, and I'm really enjoying this so far. Um, really, only still in the setup. I have no idea where this is going in terms of what the plot is going to be or who the main characters are, but I'm enjoying it uh, so far. And also, uh, due to your incessant nagging, <laughs> I've started playing Eternal on iOS, which, and the only reason is because, so I was playing Magic on iOS, their duels game, and they had, you know, every, up until this version of the app, basically what they do is every year they would release a different version with a different card set and, you know, slightly tweaked um, kind of bones of the app. Uh, adding some features as they went, kind of iterating, almost like like a sports video game, like like Madden 17. Like, but then they got to this one and they're like, "No, we're going to keep the same app. We're going to keep updating it." Now it's like a real free to play thing where you can like you know buy currency to unlock more packs or just earn currency playing games, and you're going to unlock a card um, database and really build up your card list, and your decks are going to follow you year on year. We're just going to keep pumping new sets in as they're released in the real world. And I was like, great, we have arrived. And I pumped a fair amount of money into that game and a, uh, a fair amount of time into that game because it's like it's worth investing when you're in the long run, right? Because it's like I can keep playing this, and cards I unlock today I could be playing with for years. Well, then uh, Wizards released a statement just uh, before the new set would have come into Hour of Devastation, would have come into the iOS app like, yes, yeah, sorry, guys, we're going to discontinue support for this. You can still play it and still give us your money, um, but Hour of Devastation won't be coming in. No future sets will be coming in. We're going to have a new something at some point in the future, and it's going to be more integrated with other stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I was very, very pissed because you know, time and money was spent, um, in this game. And, um, then I said, you know what, I, I kind of need my fix. And then you sent me the link, uh, when the iOS version of the app dropped and, um, I was like, ah, sure, whatever, what the hell. And, uh, boy, it is scratching the itch. Um, it, uh, you know, it's not magic, which is tough for me because I've been playing magic for, let's see here, 20 years. Um, if not more than that. So it's a tough transition for me, but I'm really enjoying it so far. I've been playing a ton of it. Um, 
it's fast, it's easy, the app runs great, comparing it to iOS. Uh, it doesn't just chew through my battery the way the Magic app works. Um, you're not spending a lot of time waiting for animations to load or, you know, uh, dropping in and out of matches the way you are in the magic. I mean, I can just, I'm spending a lot more time playing and a lot less time staring at this thing. So I'm really enjoying it. Well, that's good. Uh, I have comments about both these things. First thing is that I'm, I'm, ex I'm excited, but surprised to see that you moved on to yet another fantasy series as you're, yeah, I know. God damn it. <laughs> I've hooked you. <laughs> um, but I am glad you chose it. Cause I'm curious for your thoughts because I mean, there's some other ones out there and I'm trying to get around to them. I just saw a bunch of, uh, Robin Hobb, is that the person's name, author, I think, fantasy author? Uh, a lot of their books just went on sale on Amazon for like a dollar or two dollars, so I gobbled a bunch of those, so I'm going to move on to that at some point. But um, I think that when you look at Sanderson and Martin and Rothfuss and Abercrombie, those are some of the, the biggest names out there right now as far as who's doing what that's popular. Uh, and for me, they kind of provide different areas on a, on like a spectrum or a quadrant of like, style mixing and tone mixing where mm. from a writing style i think abercrombie is very is very similar to sanderson at least in that the it's not very flowery it's not very prose oriented it's a little bit invisible um but his tone is much more like a martin yeah so i think you kind of get like if you like that sort of style it's something different where martin can be a little not dense but it's not the right word it's not tolkien but you know it's a little bit heavier in the prose area uh, but I think you'll enjoy it. There's a lot of really good characters. I think that for the most part, I'd say that his books get better each one as you go. So he has the first law trilogy and then he has three standalone books that take place about five years apart after each of them. And those books, I think, are better than the trilogy. But I still like the trilogy, but it's definitely a very people describe it as well, I say Martin's the anti-Tolkien, <laughs> but Abercrombie's a more direct anti-token you'll see why and i think that where you know people people talk about deconstructing and kind of turning the fantasy genre its head what martin does but i think abercrombie does it in a way that's a little bit more i think he does it in a more like aggressive way <laughs> where like <laughs> there's not real like people say like oh there's no heroes in game of thrones like there's fucking heroes come on like Jon snow yeah. is a hero he might do some like pretty brutal things sometimes but he's a hero he's a good guy yeah. in the first law world I'm not so sure as anybody who's good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's looking that way. But I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. I think I don't know that the prose is as invisible as Sanderson's. Um, uh, he definitely has more of a kind of winking sense of humor that Sa that Sanderson does not. Yeah, Sanderson really tries to have zero point of view on the on the proceedings where Abercrombie seems like he's he's trying to create more of an atmosphere and a mood, but I, I'm with you when I'm envisioning your quadrant map. But speaking of George R.R. R. Martin, his television show is back on the air this week, and we are shifting our format and our release schedule a little bit to accommodate that. So um, every week until the show it goes back uh, dormant again. Um, we're going to carve out the last 10 or 15 minutes of the episode to run down this week's Game of Thrones. And uh, so that's coming at the end. If you don't want uh, last week's episode of Game of Thrones spoiled for you, you know, you can skip over that part uh, to our recommendations, which will be at the, the very, very end of the episode. But um, that's coming up. Yeah. And we'll be releasing on Fridays, as you've probably Correct. seen, uh, so that you can, you know, Get a chance to see it in case you don't watch it when it's live. 
and then get ramped up for next week's with, you know, stunning commentary and hot takes from <laughs> your two favorite annoying nerds. I don't know what we are. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so should we jump into, uh, into this week's theme? Yes. So I guess I should, I guess I should say, um, <clears throat> in addition to Joe Abercrombie and Eternal, there's something you've been talking about on the podcast for a long time that I've been just trying to ignore and hope that you'll just stop mentioning because I kind of know what it is and I really don't want to have anything to do with it. But uh, you've talked a lot about a show called Supernatural. Yep. And it's time to do a canon catch up. <sighs> so, Andrew, uh, what the hell is a Supernatural and why should I care? So, as opposed to our la- my last canon catch up, which was Buffy, uh, ironically on the same network, maybe not ironically. Um, Part of the reason why you hate it, I'm sure. But <laughs> as opposed to Buffy, which is an A show, Supernatural is a top tier B show. It's oh, a popcorn boy. show. And there and I want to say my point is for this episode is that there's value in that. Not every show has to be premier triple A television. I think there's space out there for fun, lighthearted, episodic stuff, even if it's not even what I prefer typically. But for some reason, something about Supernatural has hooked me. And I'm going to get into why. I I just want to point out that you're using the same argument that is often used to defend various real housewives of various cities. So uh, you have a steep hill. You have a steep hill to climb here. What, that it's popcorn television? <laughs> that it doesn't have to be good. And sometimes you just want to watch something silly. No, and I don't like that. So what I'm saying is it, it's good in different ways. It doesn't have it's – uh, not, it's not the most – compelling effects or writing in the world but there's something that is interesting being done and unique that's not 50 year old women with lots of botox yelling at each other (laughs) and also which we talk about sometime shows like that i don't think are good for society for many reasons but we'll table we'll table our housewives can and catch it for a different time (laughs) all right tell me about supernatural okay so Biggest claim to fame, which I didn't actually realize when doing research today, is the longest-running American fantasy show as of now. Uh, started back in 2005, created by Eric Kripke, uh, co-writer of the horror classic Boogeyman. That's not probably a horror classic. <laughs> <laughs> but hadn't really done anything prior to this. Um, and apparently he'd been trying to pitch this show or a movie based around this idea for about 10 years, which is pretty crazy, considering we are now in starting this fall, the 13th season of the show. So the show has been a concept in someone's mind for a very long time. Uh, he would he would go on to do other projects like, uh, I think watching these shows, but I've heard of them, Revolution, Jacked, Timeless. I don't know if any of those are particularly good. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not, but... I think they all barely made it a season. Yeah. So, sucks to be him, I guess, but... Uh, <laughs> This show has uh, stayed the course, for sure. Um, like I said, it's been renewed for a 13th season, and the current showrunners and the CW said that as long as the two main actors in this show, Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles, are interested in working on the show and want to keep doing it, they'll keep making it. That it's basically greenlit as long as they want it to be. And Jared Padalecki is, of course, Dean from Gilmore Girls. Yes, which isn't confusing okay. at all because... His name in the show is Sam, and his brother is Dean. Okay, great. So that's not confusing at all. Um, (laughs) 
interestingly enough, this Gilmore Girls was on before Supernatural for a very long time. So I always thought it must be very like weird. And I have a theory, but about some of the stuff we're gonna talk about later. Um, but I always thought it was very weird to have those two those two shows like pushed next to each other. But we're gonna talk about that. Um, it's also a staple of of the CW network at this point. I mean, it's been around for so long. And even I mean, before it was on the WB before they had merged with UPN to make CW. But through the highs and lows, like some of those, sh- I mean, a lot of the stuff on the CW is garbage. There's been some good shows on that, that network here and there. And I think the recent CW or DC CW universe has been, uh, I think, built a little bit on the model of Supernatural and saying that maybe we can appeal to a different audience than we typically do and do something that's a little bit more. For a while, it was for a while the only shows that besides Supernatural were just all just like Gossip Girl or things like that for a long time. Uh, which you think Gilmore Girls is a bad show? You should see some of this garbage. Shay watched all of Gossip Girl. Holy shit, that show is terrible. <laughs> like, not even like sit down and watch it. It's so bad, it's good. Like, please turn that off when I walk in the room. I don't want to be confronted with it. We all suffer certain <laughs> television shows for our uh, for the women in our lives. This is true. So, and here's what I want to talk about. So it's oftentimes characterized as a show for teenage girls, which is confusing to me because the guys aren't, I mean, they're like, they're handsome dudes, but they're not like particularly dreamy or hunky in any particular way, at least, I mean, for my <laughs> heterosexual this week, place. This week on Andrew, <laughs> Andrew Coons explains to teenage girls who what's attractive. <laughs> um, but more about like, it's mostly just two guys, two dudes running around slaying bad CGI and goofy rubber costumes. What about that appeal to teenage girls? I'm not sure. My theory is that for a long time, this show aired immediately after Gilmore Girls and had the same actor in it, which is a kind of a strange thing, which I don't think happens a lot in television. So I guess they would just watch both and say like, oh, it's the same guy. I like him. He's Dean, except now he's Sam. And I don't know. Like, and that's how it got started. And it just snowballed from there. That's my theory anyway. <laughs> Because it has a pretty incredible, like pretty infamous. I, what? Or what are you laughing at? I think I think we should have uh, we should have a weekly segment of Andrew tries to figure out how, how teenage girls think. Yeah. All right. I could do that. Let my hair down and really try and get into the act. Uh, <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm unsure about that, but it has a really infamous, you know, fandom that's based very much in that sort of like nowadays in that tumblr you know area where lots of shipping and lots of uh even though there's there's barely females in the show so the people they're shipping are the brothers together most of the time um which we'll get to so that's confusing to me but let's move on we'll talk about that some more later the show what is the show so to quote rick and morty it's just it's just two brothers it's just two brothers (laughs) And really, that's I mean, that's that's a big theme of what I want to try to get across is that for some reason, out of any show you ever watch, no show has restrained itself so much from growing. I think since like probably classic sitcoms where you just had the same three or four characters getting in the same hijinks every episode, like, you know, sitcoms from like the 40s or 50s or whatever. So the two brothers are Sam and Dean Winchester. Sam is the book smart, kind hearted one younger brother. And Dean is the heavy drinking ladies man with an edge, but also a heart of gold, older brother. Uh, he's supposed to, I was reading today that he was supposed to sort of invoke a sort of Harrison Ford-esque character. 
And then he's kind of got some swagger, a little cocky, a little arrogant, but still, you know, a good guy. I'm not sure if I quite go that far as he pulls that level of swagger off, but. So to make the, to, to draw the Gilmore Girls conclusion even more, Jared Padalecki is still kind of playing Dean, the boy that, you know, your mom wants you to like. And then the other guy is playing Jess, the guy with the leather jacket from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. Although Sam and the Dean, Sam and Dean comparison is probably pretty accurate. The Dean and Jess comparison is probably, he's not near as, he would find the things, because Jess was also like into poetry and like kind of, you know what I mean? That kind of thing, like into, into alternative music, which I think was sort of like part of his appeal. Like he was the bad boy artist, not just the bad boy, which I think is why a lot uh-huh. of girls like him. Um, why he's the favorite of many females. I always liked Dean, but that's because I just thought in his spare time he was out killing monsters, but um, he could never kill the monster that is Stars Hollow, right? We'll get there. We'll get there. One day. <laughs> we'll connect to this somehow. It'll be awesome. So, and with these two, one of the themes of the show, which is sometimes a pro and sometimes a major con, is that these two are devoted to each other in sort of a, a weirdly obsessive manner. Uh, mostly because it's they're kind of all they have. But here's the rundown. Long story short, their mother was killed when Sam was a baby through some magical, nefarious means. Basically, got she floats up to the ceiling and self-combusts. That's pretty gruesome, actually. All right. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty dang ghastly. Uh, so, Sam and Dean are raised by their dad, John Win- Winchester, a.k.a. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, a.k.a. Batman's dad, a.k.a. Comedian, a.k.a. Negan from The Walking Dead. When was Jeffrey D. Morgan Batman's dad? In Batman vs. Superman? Oh, okay. You bought sure, that out. I guess. Uh, yeah. Just for that one scene, you know. But um, sort of, he, he's desperate to find the killer, so he turns into, like, obsessive monster hunter and trains the boys in the same way. Uh, Dean takes to it. Sam, not so much, because he's the, he's the quiet, sensitive one, right? Uh, so they basically live a whole life out of their car, and they just travel across the world or across the country trying to track down any leads they can find about their mother's killer uh, and then sort of get into the world of monster hunting, which was referred to. They're just called hunters and just live out of cheap motels. Not, and not to be confused with slayers. Not to be confused with slayers. They don't need magical powers. Oh, okay. Uh, they're just dudes. And they've got a trunk full of guns and wooden stakes and rock salt and whatever else they use to fight whatever they need to a la Witcher style. Got a little journal from their dad that has a How to Hunt Monsters 101. And, uh, yeah. So, anyway, that goes on. At some point, uh, Sam left the hunting life to pursue law school at Stanford. Uh, had to make sure I tell you it was Stanford to show you how smart he is, right? Wait a minute. So, already, there's, there's some absurdity here. Of like, so, okay. So, my question is, in the, in the world of supernatural like are monsters just a fact of life or is this some kind of like uh, only certain people know about them yeah the latter. only certain people hunt. okay so so monsters are real and only certain people know about them and 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 then hunt them and then one of the very few people who's like i'm capable of hunting and killing monsters is like you know what though you know fuck it i guess the world can handle werewolves i've got to go get my law degree yeah, I guess there's some sort of, you know, I kind of elaborate on a series go on that, that perhaps Sam saw the 
unhealthy relationship and obsession that both his father and Dean had with being monster hunters and the reasons they did it and how it was negatively affecting them and the people in their lives. Uh, Cause San Dean, Dean remembers their childhood growing up on the road, learning how to shoot and fight and drink and whatever it with like fond memories where Sam thinks of that as kind of a shitty way to raise a child, which is probably not wrong. But uh, so I think he's trying to, we're kind of seem to be in the show. He's just trying to put that past behind him and have a normal life. Sure. Still absurd, but and and but he's so so no matter what, he's still cool with the idea of there being more werewolves around. Yeah. Because he's got his own shit going on. <laughs> Fine. Go go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. Um. So basically, when the show picks up, Dean shows up and tells them, "Hey, Dad went on a, on a hunting trip. Haven't seen him. Haven't been able to get in contact with him. I need your help to track him down. Kind of one last job, kind of thing." You know, they kind of had a falling out because Dean, of course, is taking your perspective and like, how can you go be a student when there's things to go hunt and kill that are killing people, uh, which is reasonable. Um, so Sam goes, OK, I'll help you come find dad and don't find dad. He says, all right, we can't find him. I gave you a clue. Keep going. I'm going back to school, comes back to school and his serious girlfriend, who I think he's going to propose to, dies in the exact same way that his mom does. Now, you might be so saying it's a, it's a double fridge. Yeah, it's a, you might be saying double fridge, and you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's not the best motivation, although it's sort of like less so like I need to go hunt down my girlfriend's killer as a little bit there. More just like I have nothing else. You know, she was sort of like my attachment to the real world, blah, blah, blah. Not that that's an excuse. It's still fridging. <laughs> um, and. The mom thing, I'm torn on where that's fridging or not. Cause it's sort of more backstory. I don't know. But it's still a woman being killed to give plot movement, which is, I guess, the definition. So. Yeah. Uh, things that are developed later make it a little less fridgy, which is maybe good. But I won't get into that now. So anyway, that's the sort of story that picks up in the first season. The show follows a fairly episodic style. People say it's very reminiscent of The X-Files. Uh, as far as just that there's kind of, you know, for at least for a while, there's kind of an underlying plot line of trying to find this killer. His, you know, the the guy they know that killed their mother is, is a yellow-eyed demon, which is unusual because they usually have black eyes. Uh, and I know, right? Um, and like most shows, you slowly get introduced to the lore. In each episode, they kind of come across, now they're fighting a vampire, now they're fighting werewolves, now they're fighting... Uh, let's see, some, some highlights from the first season are um, a good episode where... They kind of hunt, like, a spirit that's possessed, like, a lake, and it keeps, like, huh. drowning people, which is kind of fun. Uh, some not-so-good highlights, like, bees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's season one. Yeah. Uh, and a possessed, like, long-haul truck. <laughs> it's called Route so, 666. So the movie Maximum Overdrive? Pretty much, yeah. Um but yeah, so they go through it, you know, you name it. Vampires, ghouls, wendigos, ghouls, you know, ghosts, everything. Uh, and you sort of get to know how these things are supposed to be fought. Um, the sort of reoccurring bad guy are demons. Demons that possess people. Uh, important note we'll get back to then. But you go through and they're fighting these guys. And slowly the show gets more serialized over the first, you know, one, you know, first, second season really serialization really starts to pick up and you get, it's still very episodic though. You might have, Three episodes, epi three episodic episodes, then maybe an episode that contributes to the plot line, and then another three or four, and then another one, and then this, you know, this ratio changes as the show goes on. But uh, it's more in line of what you'd think of as like older style, not old, old, but like 
late 90s, early 2000s style television as opposed to now, which is a lot more serialized from the get-go. Hmm, sure. Uh, some of the major characteristics and not themes of the show, but sort of like items in it. So classic rock. This show is like so American and that's sort of why I kind of like it. People, the same thing kind of people say about American gods are like, oh, it's just like, it's just so like, you know, driving through America. Like they just drive around in their car and show up in different towns and different states. And they try and kind of imbue that episode with the characteristics of that state or maybe possibly that city if they're in like a bigger city. Uh, but they always listen to, they always jam out the classic rock. Although if you're watching it on Netflix, which I think all the seasons are on there, for the first, I don't know, 10 or 11 seasons, they've had to swap out a lot of the music because they don't have the rights to it on Netflix, apparently. Hmm. So it kind of just sounds like generic dad rock, where originally it was like <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult and ACDC and actual like songs we know and like. And now it's just like maybe B-sides from that or something like that. So that's a little bit of a disappointing thing. Um, when I finally cut up to the show and started watching it in real time, I was like, oh, the music is so much better this way. <laughs> so that's fun. They drive a pretty cool 1967 Chevy Impala, which is basically a character of the show. It was their dad's car. It's where they got their whole their monster fighting equipment. Gets beat up a lot, but they always repair it and keep on driving it. It's a pretty cool car. Uh, and the themes. It's all about brotherly bonding and the importance of family. Uh, it sounds really lame, and sometimes it is, but I'll get to why I think that's good. Uh, partially just because I think the two, you know, I'm sure they had some weird acting in the first few seasons they were pretty young but as the show goes on and as these two have become comfortable and not just comfortable with these characters they've put a lot of time into these characters you start to develop a good chemistry that is hard to hard to top in my opinion talk a little more about that then um but as I mentioned before the show keeps its cast very tight sometimes that's good you just sit down you watch an episode you turn it on has the classic you know pre there's not really credits but you know pre-logo cold start some mm -hmm. some guy and his wife in their house and then something bad happens and they both die you don't really see what it is and then the chevy impala rose up and they walk out of their car and they're always disguised as fbi agents investigating the case they always give themselves funny names based on bands you know so be like you know i'm agent gabriel and i'm agent you know peter peter yeah like something like that you know not peter but like agent gabriel and agent uh what's another person from genesis that i'm blanking on someone's last name uh collins yeah that's what they would say rutherford like yeah so they would say that and it's like aha funny little nod um they walk in figure out what's going on and then they kill the monster or monsters uh that's sort of the pattern but personally i like ensembles and i like when shows slowly expand their entourage and the show's reluctance to do that sometimes holds it back and i think it's at its strongest when it does decide to do that at least for a little while. Uh, the biggest problem being, and this is why it is, you know, it's still fridging, but everybody on this show dies, like male, female, <laughs> children, like there's just everybody dies. It's just them two. And they die a lot too, which we'll talk about. But great. Uh, it's just sort of just like anyone who gets close to them, you're not going to live very long because they don't, it seems like they don't want the show to turn into a hunting show. They want it to be Sam and Dean. Sure. So, but I would do want to, talk about some characters that are good that show up so that are there for a while so uh jim beaver of deadwood fame maybe not fame but he's the uh like the kind-hearted prospector guy you know what i'm talking about remember vaguely it's been a while since yeah. i watched deadwood anyway he's he's like he's bobby singer in the show and he's like kind of a surrogate dad because their dad kind of off missing for a while and then shows up and then well bites the dust spoiler alert <laughs> 
Um, so he's kind of surrogate dad, and he's an all-around badass. He's like an old-school hunter and just like knows all the lore. He's sort of like the uh, just like the old guy in the cabin who calls him up and says, I got a case for you, and sends him off, and they go to something. Then he starts to be a little more involved, and he's he's awesome. Um, slowly they add, if there's any other two characters that could be considered main characters, they get added in the fourth and fifth seasons, respectively. Uh, when they introduce, introduce angels and sort of Judeo-Christian mythology into it, which starts to take over a little bit, which is a problem. Uh, but the Misha Collins plays the angel Castiel, and he is still a, you know, a series regular at this point. Um, similarly, Mark Shepard of... He was the lawyer in Battlestar Galactica for, mm-hmm, for a while, mm-hmm. and he's also in Firefly and some other things. He's done a lot of nerdy stuff. Uh, he plays um, Crowley, who was a crossroad demon, eventually becomes the king of hell, uh, who it seems like has just departed the show under not so good relationships wise. Like he, mm-hmm. it's, it sounds like mm-hmm. it was pretty sour ending, which is not so good to hear. He's since he's been doing the show for freaking eight years or whatever. Um, so they're both in the show a lot past, you know, from when they're introduced, which is good. It gives some other other storyline options, especially because they're both kind of interesting characters. Castiel is sort of that fish out of water. He's an angel, doesn't really understand how humans work because angels are kind of dicks in this universe. <laughs> and he just doesn't understand things and has to have everything explained to him for a while. Where Crowley is sort of like slimy and smarmy and just he's 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 a great character. Uh Sometimes a bad guy, sometimes an ally, sometimes both in an episode. You just never really know what he's up to. So he kind of provides a good, a lot of twists and turns when it comes to his character. Um, but like I said, the others don't last long. Dad, dead. All the other hunters they come in ta- contact with and hang out with, dead. Uh, for a while, Felicia Day had a character in the show named Charlie, who was like their tech girl. A lot of people hate mm-hmm. this character. I didn't mind her. She's just like a pop culture reference machine, which isn't so Ugh. good. I think you would probably hate her. Uh, she dead. Um, another character they introduced later, who's this like prophet, Kevin dead. So two brothers, it's just, it's just two brothers. <laughs> there are some other really good characters though. So Mark Pellegrino, who I don't know from anything else. I know he played the dad of one of the kids on 13 reasons why that's where I saw him most recently, but, uh, <laughs> he plays Lucifer, you know, the devil, uh, and he shows up in season five and he's awesome. He, he's like a lot of people's favorite character on the show and just has a great performance and a great i think a pretty unique take on the devil he's not sexy sexy he's not spooky scary or he's just like kind of funny (laughs) and kind of just off kilter a little bit so uh and he's popped back up around although has come back on the show in a big way in the past season or two um another one another person shows up a lot is death death shows up a lot and he's sort of this you think he's a villain but he's actually more just like that without alignment sort of thing. Like I'm just death. I don't have preference. I don't want to kill you. I don't hate you. I don't enjoy. I'm just, he's, he says he existed before like gods and things. He's just a universal force. Hmm. Uh, who's really cool. And then as I talked about a couple episodes ago, when they're announcing the spinoff, um, Sheriff Jody Mills is one of the only characters and especially one of the only female characters to have survived any length of time and take on a role that is more than there's some there's some pretty badass girls in the show that i won't say they just only have damsels in in distress they certainly don't do that they show a lot of very competent female hunters which is good from the very beginning um but they all don't usually last long because most people don't last long in the show (laughs) so it's good to have a positive and she's sort of she's sort of surrogate mom for the for the the brothers they gotta have those surrogate parents because 
parent issues and brother issues and having sort of a messed up childhood is one of the drivers of the drama in the show, which is not so good all the time. But sometimes it's okay. <laughs> I know I'm giving like a, I feel like I'm giving a rave review of the show right now. I'm like, yeah, this isn't very good. This isn't very good. That's not very good. <laughs> but um, all in all, the show doesn't sprawl and it keeps the two brothers for better or worse. And I think that there's some, something to be said for their ability to continue to make, at least for me, interesting television and interesting episodes and even some compelling over overarching story arcs with like essentially two characters as your main characters. Uh, so yeah, that's the basic rundown of what Supernatural is. Do you have any questions? <laughs> Not yet. Um, I, I was, I did a Google image search for just Supernatural um, just to kind of get a feel for the aesthetic of the show and um, oh boy, <laughs> a lot of a lot of bootcut jeans and yeah, short necklaces on men. Yeah, yeah, they're they're sort of supposed to be a little rednecky. I mean, like yeah, not, and they get. I mean, it's once again as everything, anything about the show that is bad has become a joke on the show. Essentially, people ask them like, "Do you own anything besides flannel? Like, do you wear the same beat up t shirt under your flannel? Like, just like stuff like that." They, you know, they kind of have that look like they well, like they've been living out of their car and on the road for. 15 years, which they kind of have been. <laughs> they look pretty clean. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and they also look like they've been spending plenty of time at the gym. <laughs> well, no, but, uh, they, they, you, you get those muscles from fighting monsters, dude. Duh. Oh, is that is that where you get them? All right. Well, let's take a break for news, and then we'll come back, and uh, you can tell me more about this uh, weird uh, show about hunks that you like so much. Hey. It's been a while since we checked in on the new Batman movie. Um, <laughs> I think last time we heard, we had just had a new director after Ben Affleck disappeared. Um, so that director, Matt Reeves, is officially now working from a new script. Uh, they've thrown out Ben Affleck's script. So now Ben Affleck is no longer the writer, no longer the director. Um, but this new script, uh, Matt Reeves is calling it, he says it's very noirish and talks about it kind of in the terms of like the, the Nolan movies, um, that it's going to be very character driven and a character study, et cetera, et cetera, which, all right, fine. I kind of feel like Nolan did that version of Batman and I'd like to see a new version of Batman on, on the screen, but I also don't think I'm going to see this movie, but the really interesting thing is, um, I think it was in Screen Rant or whoever ran this article first, they just kind of mentioned offhandedly that it's becoming less and less certain that Ben Affleck will even be coming back to play Batman in this new Batman movie, which will be after the Justice League movie. Um, which actually, and just today, it was announced that Ben Affleck is bowing out of, he was slated to make a movie for Netflix and he's withdrawn from that recently too to focus on his health and family i believe the quote was so uh things to me it's looking pretty strong that we're gonna have a new batman actor uh when um after justice league which is fine i never loved uh ben affleck's batman and i also think whatever we can do to hit a reset button on these dc movies is is a positive thing yeah i mean i I don't know. I hope that he's okay as a person, you know, sure. Ben. but I, I feel like DC must be freaking out if he's really thinking about, cause that's a big blow. I mean, 
Marvel's recast some some side characters, but if they had to recast Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. like two movies ago, they would have been probably been shitting their pants. So I feel like DC built a universe around this guy a little bit, all two movies of it, and seem to want to keep making more with that. So to have to, have to recast them like that, I think they're going to be very scared to do. Yeah. I also feel like maybe it's a good plan, though, because if Matt Reeves is trying to make a noirish style Batman, and, okay, it's compared to Nolan, I don't think we need to, like I said, I don't think we need to do that again, but you could go a little more in the noirish depart- department, like more detective-y. Okay, I could see that. But that's not the Ben Affleck Batman that we see. We see we see Dark Knight Returns Ben Affleck, you know, 300 pounds of pure muscle just breaking people. That's not very noirish. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what type of movies he's been watching, but so, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, Speaking of recasting, we have our uh, 13th Doctor on Doctor Who, and that Doctor is a lady. Lady Doctor. Uh, uh, Jodie Whittaker, who was on uh, Broadchurch, which was, I believe, another Stephen Moffat show. And actually, I think she acted alongside the 11th Doctor in that show as well. So a little bit of crossover. Um that's where she's from. I saw her picture and I was like, I've seen her in something. And it was, it was Broadchurch, yeah. But she will be the 13th Doctor. This is the first time that there's been a female Doctor, obviously. And of course, um, the best humans are super upset about this because it's very important that this uh, timeless alien with two hearts also has a human penis. Uh, it's a very important part of the mythos that you have to understand. Um, but hey cool i'm actually i'm actually kind of interested in this because i enjoy doctor who i didn't love peter capaldi uh as the doctor so i'm actually very curious to to see a new character and also i think that this can really refresh the show in in some interesting ways and also uh just a big middle finger to internet shitheads um now now the doctor who um fandom can purge itself of its shittier members who were able to hide themselves <laughs> didn't have to come out and be like yeah i'm a misogynist uh so now they can be purged from the community so cool it's like shining a light in the kitchen when the cockroaches scatter exactly exactly correct yes uh i saw some things today about that that were very horrible like the one newspaper that's like publishing the pictures of her like past movies where she's appeared nude and it's like oh my gosh like what are we doing like come on yeah i mean and some of that is just might just be british tabloid press of like there's a famous lady and so let's print what nudes we have of her um but also you wonder like is this just some weird misogynist way to try to discredit this actress so yeah yeah fuck those people (laughs) yes uh but moving on to much more wholesome things and happy things yeah, so just at, at D23, which is Disney's big, like, Disney-only Comic-Con, which means everything Comic-Con now because Disney owns all the stuff. <laughs> um, so they they kind of premiered – they've been working on a Star Wars area of Disney World, and they've released a diorama of how it's going to look. They It's going to be called Galaxy's Edge. And they also mentioned this totally bonkers thing that I – think is absolutely fascinating so part of it part of this theme park is going to be so it's going to be the normal kind of like there's already kind of a star wars area of disney world so imagine that blown out to be a bigger section of the park but there's also this there's going to be a resort part a hotel 
that they are describing as fully immersive so that when you walk through the doors of this thing, you feel like you are on like a ship or a space station. They give you in fiction Star Wars costumes to wear in the hotel and in this like in this thing. So you are wearing like period cor- period correct like like fiction correct <laughs> what period uh, is that greg <laughs> out- outfits well clearly a long time ago um and you're going to be interacting with star wars characters like and they they want this entire time that you're in this hotel and in this park to be like almost like a larp um so they released some like some concept art for their hotel weird um but it shows like tourists in star wars garb like interacting on like a bridge of a spaceship with like Admiral Akbar style aliens. Um, uh, Mon Calamari. Come on. Yeah. The Mon Calamari. Um, and they showed like an image of like a sketch of like one of the hotel rooms. And it like literally looks like it's not like, Oh, it looks like a Hampton Inn, but like silvery. It looks like, like the crew quarters in like a star Wars spaceship. And they've got these big windows that look out onto like a star field. And it just sounds insane. That, like, you're going to be interacting in, like, an interactive story while you're there. It's not just, like, an amped up, like, oh, and the little shops, you know, sell Star Wars candy. Like, it's going to be, like, they want you to feel like you are living in Star Wars while you're there, interacting with characters, taking part in some kind of narrative. Um, it bonkers. Um, the, the park itself, Galaxy's Edge, just the general... Disney World section is going to open, I think, in 2019. They don't say when this insane hotel is opening up, but I have a feeling it's going to be right around the time when I've got a daughter who's just getting old enough to go to Disney World. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the fact that it's, that it's going to be Disneyland and not like in California and not in the World Park, or is it just is it both? Is it? I think it's Orlando. Oh, is it Orlando? Oh God. Okay. Well, then I'm definitely going to go to this because I'm all in. Like it sounds stupid awesome oh i i mean i feel like you have to get there early because you know this is going to get shut down like there's no way there's no way that somebody doesn't get murdered on this thing (laughs) like we're talking about star wars westworld as hosted by disney somebody's gonna die (laughs) yeah and i guess it's all gonna fit into like you know the fact that you know people were talking about how it's really cool they're like making a whole new world for this park as opposed to like here's tatooine section and here's you know naboo section or whatever like they're just like it's all going to be something new, which I think is a really, it's kind of ballsy. I mean, it's, it'd be really easy to take the safe route and be like, it's just like all the other parks where we've got sections for each planet and you go and you ride the rides and give us lots yeah. of money. You know, it's easy, but. Well, or this idea that maybe there's a part of the Star Wars canon that's out there that the only way for you to like get it, like it's not a book you have to read or a movie you have to watch. It's like, it's a hotel you have to go and like play along with their weird like murder mystery dinner. <laughs> It sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm super psyched. This is insanity. I cannot believe that many very intelligent, educated, and well-compensated people signed off on this idea at so many stages. And we're like, yes, this is how we're going to spend millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. So, yeah. Um, it'll probably also make them millions and millions of dollars. So, good on uh, that. I, I think so. Uh, one last little bit of news out of D23. Um, apparently they, there is an infinity war trailer, Avengers of infinity war footage. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard it described as a, as a trailer. Oh, okay. Um, which 
you know, and, and the descriptions I I read, like where they talk about, oh, and then it's a shot of this, and it then a shot of this, and then you see the logo. It's it sounds like it was okay. edited together, like a. It's not like that uh, Star Wars like behind the scenes featurette that they okay. put out. Um, so I can't imagine that we don't get a live version of that um, Comic Cons this week. So I can't imagine we're not going to be seeing that pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, I wonder because they got two movies coming up between them, so they might not want to hold off on the hype train, but. We'll see. Uh, did you read all the descriptions of what happens? I did. It sounds really cool. Yeah. I, my favorite thing was, I hate to do this, but to, to quote a comment I read, and I think it was on io9, was like, Top Cam was like, it sounds like some dude just mashing all his action figures together. <laughs> and that's not a it bad does. thing. Like, yes, it does. <laughs> exactly right. So oh, it sounds yeah. cool, but uh, I'm obviously very excited. I very much hope that we get a trailer to Kron Con, so I will just watch it a hundred times this weekend. <laughs> All right, well, shall we uh, dig back into... Um, Your new favorite uh, show? Yeah. Yeah. Sam and Dean's Monster Road Trip. <laughs> All right. So now comes the time of the episode where I'm going to go in intense detail about every every one of the 13 seasons, talk about all the plots and twists and turns. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. But I will give you just a quick overview of the quality of seasons in case listeners, aka probably not Greg, are ever interested in watching this show and want to know sort of what they're in for. So season one is just okay, but by far the scariest, if you like the horror aspect, that has it the most. Some of those episodes are legitimately like, ooh, this is a little spooky. I'm not so much sure about this. Where later on, it's more action-y, you know, action fantasy as opposed to horror fantasy. Uh, two through four truly begins a more serial type of story and builds up to season five, which is probably the show at its peak. This was this rounds out the, the five sort of season arc that the original creator had made and, and put in vision. And then after that, he leaves. And the show was kind of supposed to end. However, it's very popular, so it did not end. And everyone who was making it besides the creator decided to keep wanting to do it. So it went on. Six, not bad. Seven, really bad. Eight through ten, kind of forgettable with some ups and downs here and there. Some good stuff, some bad stuff. Uh, Eleven was weird, but okay. And actually, the most recent season, season 12, is probably my favorite season since season five, which is kind of unusual for a show to wrap around like that again. Usually it's a, once the decline starts, you know, the decline doesn't stop, so right? It's a pretty pretty steady trend line, yeah. Yeah, but this is actually, they just did some unique stuff and they solved a lot of the problems, which I'm going to get to. So um, the problems with Supernatural are as follows. Their unwillingness to let the show expand at all has hindered it. They rehash plot lines, a lot of, you know, Sam is keeping a secret from Dean about this thing that he did, and that's the cause of the drama for this season. And then it switches the next season. Um, also, they keep dying, and the other one makes a really bad deal to bring the other one back to the point where it's become a plot point in the show. And they've told us, at least a Reaper said, listen, the next time you guys die, that's it. You're not coming back. Like, we're done with this bullshit. You've both come back way too many times. You're messing up the laws of nature. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, another problem is that they've kind of ignored some really cool untapped territory. So one thing they once one plot line they started that I really wanted to have them delve into was they had this uh, plot line where basically Oz is a real thing. And okay. um, uh, what's the guy who made Wizard of Oz? I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. L. Frank Baum. Yeah, that L. Frank Baum was actually like. Uh, magic researcher and discovered Oz and then wrote his stories based on it. And it's a real place that you can go visit. And like Dorothy is like kind of a 
rebellion leader in Oz and she comes to the real world for a little bit. And I thought they're going to do this whole little like story arc where they kind of go and do that because it's, it's public domain so they can do what the hell they want with it. Uh, but they didn't and they just had like a one-off episode about it with the Wicked Witch flying through their kind of bunker, which is weird. Um, <laughs> it also seems to forget its own canon at points, especially in kind of that like 7 to 11 area. Uh, things like, so for a long time in the show, a major plot point was demons possess people, but we can't just kill them because there's a person in there. So we have to trap them and exercise them so we don't kill the person inside. Yeah, that, that went out the window like four seasons ago. I just blow them away now. Like, that all <laughs> qualms about killing people, like, no, it's gone. Um, also, they had this really good point episode where, because for a long time, the show is not very morally gray. It's like, monsters are bad, we kill them. Then they start to introduce things like maybe there's some good monsters out there, blah, blah, blah. You know, the kind of thing you expect from like a modern show. Uh, they have this good episode where Sam kind of falls in love with a lady. Ooh, which doesn't happen very often because just love. That's one thing you like about this show, Greg. There's almost no romance in the show at all. Well, good. Um, since you have no heart and hate love. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but there's no like there's no like CW romance stuff. That's why the reason why I think the show is weird that like teenage girls like it because not that I'm saying only teenage girls only like that sort of thing, but that's the stereotype of the demographic for the CW at the very least. Sure. Uh, but they have this really good episode where Sam kind of falls in love with a girl. She gets turned into a werewolf and they have to kill her. Then later they meet a family of like good werewolves. Granted it's six seasons later, but it's once again, it's like, I still remember that episode back there where you had this very poignant, like strong emotional episode where now it's like, yeah, it's okay. They, they, they just eat human hearts that like are from organ donors or something. It's like, okay, well, whatever. So they have a problem with that. And then for about five seasons, the last five seasons, it's been too much angels and demons. They lost track of doing creative stuff. And it's just been all about angels and heaven and hell and demons and just that war. And it's just been too much of that. This season kind of changed that. Um, so those are the problems. And the problems that, that have been fixed now are uh, some of the good things. So overall, the good things for the show is that Jared and Jensen are great. They're really nice people. They get along great. 12 seasons of working together has has built these characters into having a chemistry and an interaction that's really hard to top. I still, to this day, like laugh out loud at interactions they have on the show just because they're so, it's so believable and so natural in their acting because they've, you know, lived these characters every day for 12 years uh, and really care a lot about the show. Um, another positive is that even in the worst seasons, they're still awesome individual episodes. Even if the overall story arc is like not compelling, they're still good, just like mystery episodes. You're like, I'm not really sure what this is going, you know, what's going on here. There's also a lot of good of some of like the goofy ones, which I'm going to talk about here. It's very American. I mentioned before, just two guys and road trips staying in trashy motels and just eating at diners. And it just has that very like Americana kind of feel to it, which is something that I don't think a lot of shows have right now. Kind of like a haunted John Mellencamp song. I don't know who John Mellencamp is, but what? Um, we're going to come back to me not knowing things too later, but, uh, and, and it, and it can hit some, some really strong emotional notes, especially in that first five arc season, which I think is really good and ends on a high note. Um, one thing that another pro about it is its willingness to get super, super, super meta. For example, in supernatural, there's a set of pulp novels called supernatural that tells the exploits of the brothers in like pulp fiction form, not pulp fiction, pulp novel fiction form. And they make multiple references to this and they show up in, in this area to the point where in one episode they go to like a supernatural comic con and everyone is dressed like them. It's really funny. 
there's also multiple references to like the ancestral fan fiction that is, you know, very pro like that is propagated throughout the internet apparently because that's all they had to work with. So that's what mm-hmm. mostly females like to do. Um, well, all right, let's maybe not let's maybe not uh, make assumptions about who's writing. No, no, no. Brother Sorry, that's a, you're right. I was thinking about the stereotype of of who watches the show and who writes about it on Tumblr. But yes, it could be anybody. But it's a very strange thing, but it's the point where they reference it in the show. For example, they go to an episode where they are, they're going to an all-girls high school where they're putting on a musical rendition of Supernatural. There's some sort of murder or something. Uh, of like the books that have been turned into musical. And they have this really awkward scene on stage where like the brothers kind of stare dreaming at each other for a little bit. And they're, and they're like, sit, and the brothers, actual brothers, are watching and they go, what's that all about? What are they doing? Don't have them do that. And they're like, duh, haven't you seen all of like the ancestral undercurrents throughout like themes throughout the book? And they're just like, no, no, we have not seen that. It's just, you know, they just kind of get very meta about that. Um, another episode, they are driving through Hollywood. You know, they do those little set tours and those little trolley things. Uh-huh. And they drive through the set of Gilmore Girls. And they're like, the guy's like, and here's the set of, you know, Stars Hollow on Gilmore Girls. And you just like the camera just focuses on Sam a.k.a. Dean from Gilmore Girls, just staring and looking very uncomfortable. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're willing to reference other things and and have a little bit of fun. Uh, probably more fun as the show has gone on. The first couple seasons were pretty serious a lot of the time, but yeah, there's exceptions to that. Um, moving forward for the show, I think that, as I said before, season 12 was really awesome. It fixed a lot of the things that were wrong. They started tapping more into the canon again and bringing back things from five, six seasons ago that you might have forgotten and and really referencing that. Um, They brought their mom back from the dead, which kind of worked for some reason. Uh, Instead of having a monster or supernatural menace, their antagonist was basically the snobby British version of hunters. Um, Kind of like lawful evil kind kind of people. Uh, which is which is a really good storyline, and I really enjoyed lots of lots of really good twists and turns. And um, we're starting to get into some weird, some particularly weird areas. So the show season kind of ends, and it seems like we're getting into alternate universe, parallel reality kind of stuff, breaches in reality, uh, which makes sense because they've announced that next season there will be an animated Scooby Doo crossover. Well, uh, I, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, um, which I'm sure I've seen the you know initial pictures of it looks hysterical. Uh, but so I think they're going to be having them explore alternate worlds and parallel realities. So is it like in this original Scooby-Doo style and then they're drawn in like, like the way that Scooby-Doo met Batman and Robin or like met the Harlem Globetrotters? It seems that way. (laughs) Uh, all right. I can get behind that. I can get behind that. So it looks pretty funny and I'm not sure else is going to happen there because, uh, basically they go to a different reality at the end of the last episode and they're, it's like. If you wouldn't have done what you did back in season five, this is what the world would look like. And it's basically mm. like post-apocalyptic kind of whatever. Uh, so I'm okay with that kind of thing. It's a, it's something different than just like, oh, there's another crazy thing. We don't know how to kill. We got to figure out how to kill. Or more angels and demons. There's also been some spinoff work done. So uh, there was an idea for there's ghost facers. So that you don't love these guys. They're like the equivalent of like those really bad shows on sci-fi. The guys who like go to haunted houses and like check them out but yeah. don't actually, you know, know what they're doing. So sure. these guys show up and they have like a web series and they're going to spin out and do a whole show, but that didn't end up panning out. Uh, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, there was also an attempt through Black Backdoor Pilot to make supernatural bloodlines. And the one, that was one that would be set in Chicago 
was so bad, so bad. But Wayward Sisters is on the way, starting Jody Mills and training a group of female hunters. And that sounds promising. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, you know, stay open-minded to that. Um, I think that sums up what it's about Supernatural. Wait, wait a minute. You're not getting away from talking about this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking through your notes and I know you've been, you know, you've been trimming some things for, for time, but, uh, you're not getting out of here without talking about the supernatural anime. Oh yeah. There was which, an anime apparently. Uh, apparently it's ongoing. Um, is it based on my, my quick Googling of this nonsense? I thought it was oh, done. But wow. Okay. Oh boy. Oh yes. I mean, because now that you mention it, like, this plot setup is anime as fuck. <laughs> like, two sexy brothers <laughs> keeping secrets from each other and hunting, uh, <laughs> hunting werewolves in Dad's American car. Like, oh, man. And it looks woof. Yeah. And I'm looking at the images and they are leaning hard into the, like, you know, sexy goth brothers oh. element here. Oh, that's, boy. Oh, boy. That's the thing about the show is that, like, I don't think... I never think of them as sexy because it's not like they have, like, other shows. Like, they don't have gratuitous, like, taking your shirt off scene and, like, working out scene and, like, oh, no, my clothing got ripped scene. And they're, like, I don't know. They're just kind of normal dudes. Like, they don't... They, they, they dress kind of dumpy, you know, in flannel and, you know, T-shirts and said boot-cut jeans and stuff. But I don't know. So, yeah, I don't... I never looked at that. I saw a couple, you know, stills from it. And I was just like, oh, good God. I, I sometimes wonder what is the drive to make things into animes, but I'm watching this. <laughs> Great. Oh boy. Great. You can do your own canon catch with a supernatural anime, which apparently they voice their their do their voices in the first season. Or at least Jared does, but Jensen couldn't because of timing or something like that. But. So I'm and I'm telling you, looking at this, like um yeah, it actually debuted in Japan with Japanese voice actors and then was relocalized for us this is bonkers oh i am not this is my life now is chasing down every episode of this oh god no i have no idea if the quality of that is anything i can only assume it's not but uh, i do love that though make it make an anime out of a super american show and then you know dub it so that americans can watch it (laughs) i guess not the first time that's happened uh so i guess i want to just give my recommendations for episodes now since we're in the heat of it um, I'll, I'll bring them into two categories, kind of real recommendations of like what I think is actually some good storytelling and then some of like just the quirky, funny episodes, which you can just watch and not really know what's going on and enjoy. So my real recommendations are really the first five seasons as an arc are good. If you want to watch the show and you don't want to commit to 13 seasons, the first five are probably worthwhile. Um, standout episodes are like the last two episodes of the second season. Um, and the last couple of the fifth season are all really, really, really strong. Um, some of the great standout episodes, individual episodes that are a little quirky or weird or off the wall. Uh, season three, episode 11, it's called Mystery Spot. It's sort of a dark version of Groundhog Day. I just rewatched this the other night with a friend and it's still really, really funny. He was like, had the exact same attitude you did, Greg. Like, I'm not fucking watching Supernatural. I'm like, no, 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 just watch this episode. And he was like laughing throughout it. So like, it, it's a good, it's good stuff. Uh, I don't remember this episode is actually good, but I just saw it when I was looking through episode list today. Uh, Season four, episode 12, Chris Angel's a douchebag. That's the name of the episode. Um, has something to do with some sort of magician, but I just like the name of the episode. Uh, I don't know if it's actually a good episode. Uh, 
season five, episode eight is changing channels. And there's a really good re- recurring trickster character that kind of just fucks with him a lot. And he sends them to this like reality warping thing where they're just like in different styles of shows, like police procedural <laughs> sitcom, you know, Knight Rider, like different things. It's just kind of fun. I mentioned this one before the French mistake, uh, season six, episode 15, where they get sent through a reality thing and then it have the bodies of the actors who play them in the, in our world. Mm-hmm. And just basically one big meta commentary on the show and all its creators and actors and everything. Uh, the high school, mu- the girls high school musical one, which is called fan fiction. And then, um, that should be that should be it for now, but we'll list them all in the show notes. Then, if you ever yeah, want to yeah. browse Netflix, which I think the show will be on, CW has a really good agreement with Netflix. I don't think any of this stuff is ever disappearing, so it'll be on there forever. So, what do you think, Greg? Interested at all? I'm actually so conceptually, it sounds it sounds you know interesting. I do like Monster of the Week stuff, and really, what you described really does sound like at least episode structure wise, like like the X-Files, which starts with somebody getting killed by something weird, and then our heroes show up to investigate, and it, you know, I like that format. Um, I am a little bit mm, trepidatious because it sounds like, so you're looking at 12 seasons, and it really sounds like, at least from what you're describing, that really the, the meat of the show is these dudes and their relationship and watching it develop, and... Uh, 12 seasons is a big commitment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it definitely, like I said, it kind of stalls out there in the in the middle late. And I think one of the reasons that three seasons was better is because they sort of said, you know what? We're good. Like, we don't need to have any more drama. We don't need to have any more fights. Like, let's just go do something that's more plot oriented and get out of our own drama between each other, which I think was a good move because it was just a lot of that for a long time. I, um, but I will say I am... I am committed to watching many episodes of the supernatural anime and we'll see if we'll see how that makes me feel. And then maybe I'll check out the, uh, the original show because the anime looks bonkers. Well, uh, I want you to report back on that because I'm curious now too. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Should we, uh, should we talk about game of Thrones? Let's do it. So let's talk about season six, episode one. Dragonstone. Dragonstone. Uh, That place that people probably don't remember what even is. Uh, Because we haven't seen it since season three. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, why don't you go first a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, this is often my reaction to the first episode of a season of Game of Thrones. Uh, So I should probably know better than by now, but... And and all this talk, you know, all the press and all the actors talking about, oh, this this show just goes so fast. It's like every episode has as much story as a whole season of the you know of the show up till now, and that is some bullshit. After this, um, so we basically spend sixty minutes of television recapping what feels like just like deleted scenes from the from the the end of the last episode of the last season, like. What did we learn in the show this week that we didn't know a year ago at the end of the last season? I, I... Yeah. I mean, I, I keep saying, like, the reason that you have your climax, because in Game of Thrones, the climax is always the second episode to the last. Yeah. The reason you have your climax in episode nine in the tenant season structure is so that you don't you can do falling action and set up in episode 10 
so you don't have to do it in episode one of the right. next season. So we can hit the ground running. Yeah, exactly. And they did not do that this episode. I mean, a couple no. of things happened, but yeah, but nothing that nothing that. See, I feel like, and this is the way I felt last season and probably the season before and probably the season four, but I feel like you could just pick up with episode one, or sorry, you could pick up with episode two and be fine. You know, just watch the last season of, on Game of Thrones, you know, uh, trailer, and then just start in with the second episode and be totally fine. And there's nothing I really need to see. I mean, even the, the you know, the big scene of Arya killing all the phrase, like, it's like, yeah, I kind of figured that was probably going to happen you know that it just feels like a waste of time here we're down to the final 13 episodes of this thing and this is a story that all, a lot of people have been waiting 25 years to see the ending of and it just feels like they're stalling yeah i i sort of feel mixed feelings because i feel like a lot of the stuff in the episode of things that we can talk about here that were the obvious kind of like really we're gonna spend time doing this yeah. The problem is I liked all those individually and I was thinking back to earlier on in Game of Thrones where there was a lot more time and breath to do some more little character bits development or scenes of Sean Bean just staring off into the wilderness of, you know, the north and just being pensive. And it's like some of that was very beautifully shot and, you know, well done. And it's something it wasn't just all like plot, 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 plot. Let's get some nice artistry in here. And I feel like some of those things I saw a little bit of that in this, like even so the oft, you know, the now discussed the death, like the scene of Sam, the montage of him serving food and getting yeah. shit and doing other things. Like, I like that, but it was just like, okay, but look at the clock. Like we have how many minutes left to wrap this story up? Is this really how you want to spend our time? <sighs> and then yeah, not I, to mention, you know, the slow walk, but. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, and that's the thing. Like this show is is very very well made. I mean, everybody involved is is just doing amazing work. It just felt like all of these very well put together scenes are just not helpful at this point. Like it's just slowing down the momentum of this thing. And you know, for example, like so, I think the scene with the hound, which was great, the easily the highlight of the episode. That actually was worthwhile because it actually moved that character forward. It gave him, you know, a, a mystical experience. We learned something from Beric Dondarrion. We, you know, we got reacquainted with that character. We set, th set, set those things up in a way that's like, cool. I didn't quite know where these guys stood at the end of the last season. And this is some good character moments for the Hound. But then we juxtapose that with the scene of Cersei and Jaime in king's landing and basically cersei saying like i'm cersei i'm going to win and he's like are you sure and she's like yes and that was like 20 minutes of my life like <laughs> introducing oh they've made a big map cool they didn't have what they didn't have one of those um it just felt like there was a lot of wasted time a lot of wheel spinning a lot of like so and i guess the big example and, and is is the last like 10 minutes of the show which was you know daenerys's big homecoming which to me, that's like emblematic of this. Like, so that felt like it was 10 minutes long. I'm sure it wasn't, but we've got this big, slow, she's walking, you know, walking up to the, the castle and, and walking through the castle. And it's supposed to be this big emotional payoff, but it's like, we as viewers have no emotional or plot connection to, to Dragonstone. Most of us needed to be re reminded of what that place is. Uh, we spent very little time there in any other, 
elements of the show. We don't give a shit about that place. It almost felt like this scene, you know, of the homecoming, this would have been much more powerful if it had been John and Sansa at Winterfell. Because yeah. we have an emotional care, uh, connection to that place as viewers, and we know that those characters have an emotional connection to that place. We've never heard Daenerys talk about Dragonstone and how she can't wait to get back. It's just, it's, it's just, it just seems like, oh yes, feel ways about this. Look at our lighting and listen to our music. You must feel ways about this. And it's like, no, I don't. This is, and it just feels like how many times have I seen Daenerys? walk up to a throne, an empty throne, while big dramatic music swells. And it's like, I've seen this so many times. And, you know, that scene at the end where she's approaching the throne at Dragonstone, and it's like, oh, good. I can't wait to have another season of her sitting in a throne room while people come ask her about stuff. Because that was my favorite part of the last 10 years of this show. Um, It just... And again, there's no moment there of like, ooh, look, she's looking at a throne. I've seen her look at so many other thrones. If it was Jon Snow approaching a throne, that's a thing. Yeah, or if, if it was the Iron Throne, maybe, but yes. whatever this throne in Dragonstone, it's like, okay. It seems like it's going to diminish when she actually, because what is it, getting to Dragonstone is kind of the equivalent of her getting to, like, Martha's Vineyard? I don't know. It's like, you're in Westeros technically, but you're not really there. Like, you're just on a rock well, outside of it. And also, she's got why why are they bothering to stop at Dragonstone? Doesn't that seem kind of stupid? Yeah. Like you've got the dragons and and this is another point about how I don't think that the, the show doesn't really have any real good narrative tension right now because we know Danny has the dragons and we know that the dragons will completely wreck shop when they get to Westeros. And we also know that Cersei has no dragon defenses. No one does. So it's like just go. Just go. What's stopping you? Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're just sitting here waiting for her to actually get her shit together and fly over to King's Landing and start burning the place down. It's and just like and there's the, this other just so there's not a what ooh how is she going to do it how is she going to take over the country it's like we know she's going to use her dragons and her giant army and fleet it's not. So now it's just, when is she going to get around to doing it? And that's boring television, waiting for your characters to do cool stuff. Um, also, it's the same kind of thing with the White Walkers coming down from the north. Like, we have no reason to believe that those guys can get through the wall. Mm-hmm. We know that, you know, based on what Benjamin Stark told us uh, at the end of last season, even if they manage to, like, get through one of the doorways, they can't get through. There's the magic prevents them from getting through, and they've shown us nothing, either that they have or there's been no legends of, you know, some kind of weapon that can break down the wall. It's just like, all right, so I don't really care when they get there. Like, they'll get there when they get there and they sit by the wall. What am I worried about? Where's the tension? What's the what's the urgency? Yeah, the only thing we've heard about is the horn, but they haven't mentioned that in, like, three seasons. So yeah. the horn that could potentially bring the wall down. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, like you said, there's no reason for her not to just strike. I mean, the other thing, the other thing that's really bothering me right now, and don't get me wrong, I didn't hate this episode, but I just, part of what you need to do to maintain narrative tension and have stakes is to have some sort of internal consistency about, in a show like this, distance and travel and relative military capability. Like, okay, so somehow it took all that time for her to cross the river, but then Jorah is on Old Town, which is like on the other side of Westeros, which we've already been said it told is a big place, takes a long time to travel anywhere. Yes. Also, it seems like we just pick up from, it seems like not a lot of time has passed the past, you know, little bit of the show we've been watching, yet somehow the iron, that somehow Euron has the ability to make a thousand 
awesome capital ships yes from nothing they, yes. they, and they from his rocky island with yeah, no trees with no trees and they didn't even have like in the books there's a little thing like well they control their land and they build it off there or they stole some ships blah blah like this is one of the moments where martin always talks about his butterfly effect where if you change something in season two that you think is a minor detail or like to you know to streamline the plot a little bit it might have ramifications in season seven where you weren't expecting it to you know where you sort of downplay the Ironborn and what they can do and their role in the role in the plot, and then when they do have, to have a big role, then it kind of doesn't, they just come out of nowhere with a fucking don't get me wrong, really cool looking ships, really yeah. cool looking ships, by the way. So uh, let's, let's talk about Euron a little bit. What did you think of him? So for me, and I don't, you know, he's not the worst character or performance role, but he's such a shadow. I mean, this is going to be like in the books, like that's not what I mean, but like in the books, he is such an awesome character, and for yes. me, it's just a missed opportunity, like. Here's a chance to make, like, a lot of characters in Game of Thrones are a little bit, like, reserved or brooding or quiet, you know, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. This guy is supposed to be, like, a Charisma 20 wizard slash pirate slash, like, adventurer. Psychopath, yeah. Yeah, slash psychopath. Like, who might have a magic eyeball. Yeah, and who knows magic and has been to a shy by the shadow and has a horn that can allegedly to control the like just all this crazy stuff with like an eye patch like he's supposed to be this larger than life character almost yeah. to the point of like caricature and he's just dull like he's just like i'm just another smarmy guy who wants to sleep with you Cersei. it's like great cool i mean i like i kind of like the it seemed like a twist because it seemed like he was going to go after daenerys and then oh now he's actually going after cersei so i'm not sure if that's a twist or more just sort of like oh this plot works better if we do it this way because yeah. it almost feels a little sudden but like again with this like waiting game thing that frustrates me so much it's like oh cool so he's gonna try to make an alliance with cersei that's interesting because they're both scenery chewing villains i really want to see them together this brings some military power to the table it's a new you know game of thrones works very well when it's pitting two characters like next to each other you know and seeing how they interact like Arya and the hound you know mm -hmm. or jamie and brienne and like you know mixing it up with these kind of pairs and like that would be a really cool pair want to see how that goes and then it's like no i'm gonna go find a special present which is obviously Tyrion. so now we have to wait for that to happen so that then he can come back and do this thing where it's just it feels like kind of a rothfuss kind of thing of just putting in these artificial barriers to kill time like yeah. like I feel like the show would be more interesting in the next episode, in the next six or seven episodes, if Cersei just looked at him with Jamie standing next next to her and she was like, yeah, you know what? Let's get married tomorrow. And then just totally side eyes Jamie. And then like, then we can get on with this stuff. But instead, he has to do some stupid fetch quest and waste all of our time with that. Ugh. Yeah, and I'll have to say, though, I think that the performance by, um, was it Nikolai... I forget his last name. The guy who plays Jamie, Nikki C W. Yeah, Nikki C W. <laughs> Nikki. Um, what was it in the in like when somebody made that '90s Game of Thrones intro? Game of Thrones intro where they set it to like very '90s music and made it look like a '90s show, and they yeah. gave him like the awful like it was they called him Nikki Waldo. <laughs> like that was his that was his Americanized name. Anyway, yeah, but he he had such a good performance episode. Like his his visual acting, which is like his facial expressions and stuff. Like when he when Yura makes a joke about like. I have one good hand, you know, I have two good hands, whatever, like, yeah. just the sheer, like, just like we're talking about with, um, you know, Michael Keaton and Spider-Man, like, the, the acting via the face is just, he just did really good at this episode, I just really enjoyed that. I think a lot of the, the performances were great, I, I especially, I don't want to call attention, right, right here before we wrap up, um, call attention to the chemistry between Sansa and Jon Snow right now. Mm -hmm. 
that, I mean, they genuinely feel like they've been brother and sister forever, those two actors. And the way they play off of each other, I think, is uh, is great. And I also think there's some very interesting choices going on with her makeup and costume and hair and also the fact that they are not at all trying to hide the fact that she's taller than him. Yeah. Because that's the thing is that, I mean, you know, when you're making, you know, a movie or a TV show, like, if one character is taller than another on screen, that's a choice because there are a million ways to hide height differences or make people look taller than others. Um, and I like that. I think that's, you know, they're doing a really good job. Those two might actually be my favorite kind of pairing to watch. Uh, yeah. Right now I would agree with Littlefinger being the, you know, the lamprey on the side. And I love that how her handling of him is, is really good. Like, I know exactly what he wants. Like, that was such a good fucking line. Like, I just love that. So. Uh, or when she says something to him along the lines, like, let's just pretend you had the last word and leave it at that. Yeah, I'm sure it was something very witty. And like, yeah, <laughs> uh, so good. So good. Off. It's such a good treatment for him because people want this, like, people want this, like, dramatic justice for him. Like, we've gotten for our, a year, like, we expect to get for other characters. Like, he, if you, you know, he was one who betrayed Ned. He's the one who caused all this problem. But it's like, it'd be an even worse thing for him to just be like, shoved aside in nothingness again like that's yeah. that's a better justice for him i still think we'll probably get that later down the road but you know for now it's fun to see him being shoved to the sideline although i'm sure he doesn't have i'm sure he hasn't played all his cards yet no 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 he's got some surprises in store all right so um you gave your supernatural recommendations i'm trying to think if i have any recommendations oh, boy this is tough this is tough because it's been a, it's been a, you know, I, I would say eternal or I would say, um, the, uh, the Joe Abercrombie book, but, um, oh, it has nothing to do with any of the things that we normally talk about on this show, but it is easily one of the funniest and best things I've seen on television in a long time. It's called tour de pharmacy. It's on HBO. It is a parody of kind of wide world of sports style sports journalism about a fictional tour to France where everyone was on drugs. It has every funny person in the world. It's 40 minutes and it is just hilarious. Um, it's essentially the sequel to, they made one called seven days in hell about a tennis match between Kit Harrington and Andy Samberg, um, which was also very good, but this is just, and I think also for me, someone who, you know, growing up in my father's house um, where the tour de France was a, uh, family holiday on the level of Thanksgiving or Christmas. Um, oh. They nail that kind of announcer style, and um, it's just fantastic. I, I recommend it. So uh, that's my recommend recommendation, Tour to Pharmacy on HBO. I'll check that out then. I just have one other last uh, closing remark, because you know, I'll be a little finger here. I'll try to get the last word and just say that I don't know who Ed Sheeran is. I don't care. It didn't bother me. I stopped talking about him. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I hope you have a good week, buddy, and uh, – and we'll talk again uh, we'll talk again next week see ya